Hunter's Tech Society, and she plans to go to college to become a pediatric therapist for children with autism. So congratulations, Kenny. So next we have Haley Harris, and she's graduating from Liberty High School. Uh, she was on the AB Honor Roll. She was a Beta Club member, and in the top 30% of her class, uh, she plans to attend Tri-County Tech for two years and then transfer to USC to study cultural anthropology. So congratulations, Taylor. <laughs> and we have uh, Austin Lyko, and he's uh, graduating from Pickens High School. He was on the AB Honor Roll, and he plans to attend college for welding. So congratulations, Austin. And then last, we had Stephanie Bagwell, and she didn't want to come up and get any gift or anything, but we do want to recognize her. So she graduated from Clemson University's with a master's in, or with a master's in science with a focus in family nurse practitioner. Um, she was awarded the 2021 Family Nurse Practitioner Academic Award for Excellence, and she has actually started classes for her doctorate in nurse nurse, nursing practice at Clemson University and plans to secure a nursing practitioner, practitioner job at Redfern Clinic at University. So congratulations, Stephanie. So again, I just wanna start off by saying how proud we are of you. Um, our graduates and everything they faced in and out of school, they have completely taken in stride. Um, and this past year, the word that stands out to me the most is uncertainty. And, you know, we ask ourselves, are things ever going to get back to normal? You know, when are prices going to drop? What is life going to look like in the years to come? And graduates are not only dealing with these questions, but they're also deciding on their next step in life. You know, which college am I going to attend? Is college even for me? You know, what job do I want? What job can I work while I'm in school? Should I learn a trade? For our high school graduates, you know, they are now expected to transition their lives after high school with more weight and uncertainty on their shoulders than anyone before them. And for some, this next step of life can be completely nerve-wracking. It brings anxious feelings, panic, and especially if you have absolutely no idea what you want to do with your life at high school, and I know because I was there. And the reality is we often find ourselves in situations where we don't know what to do whether it's serious life choices or just simple daily decisions. But we have a source. We have the source that we can go to to find guidance and peace through prayer. And what we have to do is just be careful not to become self-reliant. And that's what the Bible calls pride. And our pride often tricks us into thinking that we can handle things by ourselves with just a little help from God every now and then. So we rely mostly on ourselves and just a little bit on God. And we act as though we don't believe Christ's words in John 15, 5, when it says, without me, you can do nothing. And so God, what he does, he just graciously brings us trials and uncertainty to show us how great our need is for him so that we'll finally look to him in prayer and trust him to work on our behalf. And I'll just briefly go over the story of Jehoshaphat, who was a king of Judah, and he provides us with helpful instruction on prayer and trusting God when we face uncertainty. And Jehoshaphat, he was basically a good king, you know, who sought to follow the Lord and bring God's people back to him. But he made some wrong choices. He made some bad alliances, and the enemy was marching his way. 
and the situation, it was bleak. But he knew the source and the only source that he could turn to. And our great needs should drive us to prayer. And that's obvious to any believer. But, of course, just because it's obvious doesn't make it automatic for us. You know, it's easy to read this story and kind of miss what a great thing it was for Jehoshaphat to call on the nation of, to prayer over this crisis. And it would have been easy to panic. You know, when he heard the news of the army within his borders, you know, he could have put his trust in his army. He could have felt angry toward God and sorry for himself, especially since he had just instituted a number of reforms to bring his people back to the, back to the Lord. And he could have prayed in private. You know, he was the king, and kings had a political image to protect and maintain. But Jehoshaphat didn't panic. He didn't get angry. He didn't complain. He humbled himself, and he called on the nation to pray. He put prayer first, and he realized that he could not do anything worthwhile before he prayed. Prayer was his strongest weapon, and is our strongest weapon today. And Jehoshaphat's prayer it starts off by reminding himself and the people the greatness of God. He recites past actions that God had performed for them, and then he just briefly mentions the problem. And then he ends by calling attention to God's ability to deal with the problem in contrast to Israel's inability to deal with the problem. And in Second Chronicles uh, 2012, it says, For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And so if we fill our prayers with the greatness of our own problems, our faith is going to shrink. But if we fill our prayers with the greatness of God and remind ourselves what God has done in our past, our faith is going to grow. And we can always tell God our problems, but that should not be the focus of our prayers. And Jehoshaphat, he's described as a king who sought the God of his father. And the Hebrew word seek means literally to trample underfoot, to beat a path to God because you frequent that way so often. And so just like creating a path in the woods because you travel that way over and over and over, it's the same way that we should seek the Lord. God is our sufficiency. He's our very life. And if we have God and cling to him, even if we aren't delivered from our crisis, we can get through it. Because God is our refuge and he's our strength. And our trials and uncertainty should force us to take hold of God and cast ourselves completely on him through prayer. And as the people were gathered at the temple in prayer, the spirit of God became, um, came on a man named Jehaziel. And this is Second Chronicles 20, 15 through 17. And I think it's one of my favorite scriptures. And it's basically said, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. For this battle is not yours but God's. Go and face it tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. So we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be discouraged by the uncertainty of what's going on in our lives. And if we take these words and we apply them and believe them, we can face anything because the Lord is with us. And Israel won the battle, won the war by prayer alone, without swinging a single sword. God calls the enemy and our enemy armies just to turn against each other so that all they had to do was collect the spoil and celebrate victory. And we have a God who fights for us. So you may not have a vast army surrounding you ready to attack, but you are surrounded by an array of forces that are trying to defeat you every day, every second of your life. So just take a minute, everybody, just to think about the situations you have in your life right now. 
you know, anxiety about the future, decisions about relationships, pain from hurt or loss, and on top of that, confusion from the enemy who tries to deceive you. And in all those situations, you may find yourself at some point saying, I don't know what to do. When Jehoshaphat prayed, there was one thing he and his people were certain of in the middle of uncertainty, as their eyes were on God. And so when you find yourself saying, I don't know what to do, you can start by doing the one thing that you do know to do. And that's keep your eyes on God. And by starting there, you might be surprised at how many things fall into place. And that gives us God a chance to do his work to fight for you. And before long, you're going to know what you're doing and have the answers that you seek. So as um, Sandra plays for us, I want to just call the graduates up and their families if, if they'll come up um, so that we can pray over them for guidance and direction. Like I said, I've been there. I know you've been there. And it's hard. And I want them just to pray that, you know, they're always gonna they're always gonna cling to God no matter what comes their way. And this tends to be a time at their age when young adults become disconnected from the church. And we need to do our part. We need to do better in making them feel at home, accepted, needed, that they're a crucial part in this church because they are. And so I ask you all if you'll just pray with us as the families come down. guys at this time if you'll just stretch your hand this way we're going to pray a prayer of blessing over every one of these that God will be with them and them move forward in their future let's pray just sense a sweet spirit in this place today. Lord, we lift you. We magnify you. We glorify you. I, continue, I just pray, oh God, that you would continue. Let your spirit be felt in this place as we seek you and worship you. Hallelujah. One thing Hillary said that stuck out in my mind when she was talking. Look to Jesus. Focus on him. Let's stand together look to Jesus for a little while here today. Church, Lord, we lift you, we magnify you, we glorify you. Lord, you are the king of our hearts. Turn our hearts and minds to you, O oh God, in our lives. Hallelujah. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, 
Church. Honor his presence. 
Lord, we lift you. We magnify you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's just worship the Lord, church. I am holding on to faith Because I know you'll make a way And I don't always understand And I don't always get to see But I will believe it Yes, I will believe it And you make mountains move you make giants fall You use songs of praise To shake prison walls And I will speak to my fear And I will preach to my doubt That you were faithful then And you'll be faithful now Hallelujah I Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord are standing on your word, hallelujah, and calling heaven down to earth, and you will fight our enemies, and this will end in victory, and we will believe in, yes, we will believe in, you make mountains move, you make giants fall. Songs of praise to shake prison walls, and I will speak to my fear. I will preach to my doubt that you were faithful then, and you'll be faithful now. You were faithful then, and you'll be faithful now. And I know that I know you never fail. Yes, I know that I know you never win. Oh, yes, I know that I know you never fail. Yes, I know that I know that you never will. And you make mountains room, you make giants fall, you use songs of praise to shake and I will speak to my fear And I will preach to my doubt That you were faithful then And you'll be faithful now Oh, you make mountains move And you make giants fall You use songs of praise To shake prison walls And I will speak to my fear I will preach to my God, you were faithful then, you'll be faithful now. Oh, you were faithful 
Praise the Lord. Is it good to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Praise the Lord. I'm getting my workout this morning. I'm all over the place. Hallelujah to God. Congratulations to all of our graduates. I need more floor, friend. Uh, congratulations to all of our graduates this morning. So happy. So happy. I'm excited. I'm going to call Stephanie doctor before too long. That's just great. But then I can say I pastor a doctor. This feels really, really good. This is a moment of achievement for me, I feel like. So thank you. I'm going to celebrate with you. Uh, got a few announcements really quick. Like we've got the Gap Hill, uh, Gap City Kids uh, Church fundraiser. We'll continue today. We've got an earthquake cake. Uh, it's right over here. And uh, it looks really, really good. The bottom's still warm, just in case you wanted to get that information. Uh, also, I want you to know i got the tickets over here. We'll draw at the end of service for that. Also, we're going through Father's Day. Father's Day will be the last day that we're going to do uh, this sale. So you can purchase, purchase tickets after service in the foyer or right outside the door today for next week's pie, which will be made by Melissa Riddle, and it is a Oreo pie. That sounds good too, don't it? Man. All right, if you don't like Oreos, I'll buy a couple tickets and win. All right, I mean, if that's the way. Thus far, we have raised $925 for the children's playground. So thank God for that. That's great, guys. $925 selling cakes. You cannot beat that. So thank you so much for supporting our kids. I know they certainly are going to appreciate it. If I can give you a topic today, I want to speak on this. The point of no return. The point of no return. Now we're going to be going to Psalm chapter 57. We're going to do kind of a verse by verse analysis. So just hang in there with me and I promise you that we're going to get there today. I want you to consider really quick the argument that we're going to talk about today that is going on in David's life. There is something in this guy that wants to trust God. He wants to believe God. But on the other hand, he has some fear of man going on. And somebody said, well, he wasn't afraid, but he was because he was hiding in a cave when he wrote Psalm chapter 57. He was hiding from a crazy, wicked, lunatic king by the name of Saul that God has already rejected. He has nothing to lose. And he is trying to kill David. And inside, when David got in trouble, that's why we have the book of Psalms and songs, is because when he got in trouble, he would go and he would compile a song wherever he was, in whatever situation he was in. And so here in the cave of Adullam, he begins to write Psalm 57. And I want to start with verse 1. And we're going to go verse by verse today. He said, have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings. And just leave it up. Chevy and I'll change verse by verse as we come to it. The first thing that I see here is a word that I love, and that is mercy. Anybody know about mercy today? When, when you look at the word being merciful, when, when, when I say mercy, it simply means that God don't give me what I deserve. That's what mercy means. God does not give me what I deserve. Does anybody in this building understand today 
that there is nothing that of our own righteousness that we can do. Our righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. There is nothing within your power that you can do to work your way into heaven. There's no good deeds that you can do. And we, I thank God for good deeds. We ought to treat people right. There is nothing within my power in my human frailty that I have the availability to do or the ability to do. That God says, you don't need me in this scenario whatsoever. I'm telling you, David understands a valuable thing. He understands that God is supreme, that God is almighty. And so he's saying, I need you to be merciful. I need you to give me what I don't deserve. See, there's so many people in this place today that I think that if you were serious today and and, and just, just gave me the hardcore truth, you would say, I know what it is to experience The mercy of God. I mean, if you're really truthful today, you know what it's like. Because there's some of you in this building, you know, as well as I do, that had it not been for the mercy of God, you would not be where you are. If it had not been for the mercy of God, there's a sickness that would have took you out. There's an addiction that would have taken you out. There's something in your life. There's a wreck that that almost happened that if you had been in it, it probably nine times out of ten looks like it would have taken you out. But you can say with David, the mercy of God. I'm glad for the mercy of God today. How about you? God doesn't give me what I deserve. God gives me things that I do not deserve. So understand with me today what he is saying. He is telling us that in chapter 51, you can read your Bible and you will find. In chapter 51, he's writing. David writes about his story. It's like a girl that has a diary. Even some guys that use what we will call those journals. We won't call those diaries. And, and they get their journal out and they write what they're going through. And if you go to a psychiatrist, they may suggest that and say, I want you to write down how you're feeling. When, when you get sad, I want you to get your journal out. And I want you just to write it. It sounds like I've been the one lately, don't it? I mean, but I haven't really. And I want you to get it out and I want you just to write how you're feeling, what you're going through. And that's exactly what David did. He would pull out the scroll and he would start writing on it, dip his pen in ink, his feather, and he's writing away. And in Psalm chapter 51, he tells us of what he did. He just confesses his sins and he says that there's a lady by the name of Bathsheba in which in chapter 57, he is asking God for help. He is asking God for mercy. He is asking God in chapter 57... Please don't give me what I deserve. I'm an adulterer. I stole another man's wife. I ended up having her husband killed. I mean, I need the mercy of God. Aren't you glad that from chapter 51 all the way to chapter 57, just a few verses there, that God, even as bad as David was, the mercy, I believe in this house, we will never be able to fully understand in this humanity what it means when I say the mercy of God. I don't think that we can fully understand when I say that there's a God that loves you more than anything on this side of glory. We'll never be able to understand it until we get over there on the other side. And we're going to understand just how much He loves us. How much mercy He has shown us. And, And David, regardless of what he's done, regardless of where he's been, the mercy of God is still showing up. Now, he says, I'm going to take a refuge in God. I'm going, to, I'm going to refuge in the shadow of your wings. Now, what I like about this is this. To get in the shadow, what do you have to do? You have to get underneath something. Am I not right? So if you go outside today and the sun is shining, you're going to see that we've got, I don't know what kind of trees those are, but 
when allergy season, man, it's t- they're tough, aren't they? What are they called, Phyllis? Do you even know? What, are those dogwood trees maybe or something? What are they? Anybody know in this church? Can I have a vote to cut them down? No, I'm just playing. Anyhow, the Bradford pear, if it produced a pear, I'd like the tree. But anyhow, the Bradford pear out there, and they're just like, when you look, they're tall enough that if the sun is shining on them, you'll be able to see that there's a shadow that will go over that parking lot. Many times in the sun, what do we do? We take refuge. In the shade of the tree. We take refuge in the shadow. There's something. Because when you get in the shadow, it gets cooler. It just feels better. It feels safer. And all of a sudden, David says, this is what I'm wanting to do. I see that my God is over me. And I want to get underneath his shadow. But there's one thing that we all must admit. That if we go and we stand in the middle of the parking lot, the shadow of the pear tree is not going to shade us. Right? I mean... If we just stand there and we're like, there goes a tree. May the tree bring shadow and comfort to me. No, nothing's going to happen. You're going to stand in the sun. You're going to sweat to death. But if you'll just take a few steps in the right direction and you get underneath the shadow. See, what I'm trying to tell somebody is you have to be close enough to the tree in order to get the benefits of the shadow that's coming from the tree. And I'm telling somebody today, the reason we're not sheltered in God and the reason our life is chaos and we don't find that refuge in Him is because we're staying so far away from Him that we're not getting the benefit of the shadow. But but, but if you really want to rest under His shadow, then that means you've got to move closer to Him. And when you get close enough to Him, all of a sudden this shadow of the Almighty. So He says... I want to get in the shadow of his wings. David is talking about this secret place of the Most High God. It is what he talks about in Psalm chapter 91. When he said, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. For I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my strength, my comfort. He says, Surely He shall deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He will cover me with His feathers and under His wings wings will I trust somebody ought to say amen today see there is a shadow for you there is rest for you there is comfort for you you've just got to get close enough to the almighty to benefit from that and so it doesn't matter how far you go the mercy of God will bring you back to right standing with God and now David says I'm underneath the shadow and everything is okay my God David said hide me protect me Keep me from this that I'm going through. Go on to the next verse. See, what, what he's wanting to do is he wants, he wants this. He's basically saying, I want you to do this for me until these calamities, until these calamities pass. I think we're on the wrong scripture there, Chevy. Let's go back to verse 1. There should be more there. You know, chapter 57, chapter 57 of Psalm, verse 1. He says, until these calamities have passed by. Until these calamities have passed by. There is something to hear. See, I remember years ago, we used to sing this old song. And some of you remember it. It was that song that said, until the storm passes over. Until this storm passes by. Would you just hold me fast? Would you just keep me safe? In the shelter of your wings, would you just watch over me 
until the storm passes by. So he's praying that God would just watch over him. I'm glad today that I've got a God that does not leave me sitting. He says, I'm going to stay with you until this disaster, until this storm has passed. And then you can know that I am the Almighty God and you can give me the praise and the glory that is due to my name. Is there anybody in the building today that has went through the storm and you knew you could not make it by yourself but you also knew that when Jesus came along beside you everything was going to be alright. I need to tell somebody today that God never leaves you in the storm. If you are in the storm you need to understand that God has promised that He will go with you through it until the calamity passes. That's good stuff. Now watch this. So sometimes I get in this place in my mindset to where I ask the question, how did I get in this mess, right? How did I get in it? And I found in my life that sometimes I blame the devil for stuff that he didn't do. Come on, somebody. Now that's too deep for us here today. We always want to blame the devil. I mean, it's the devil. The reason I'm the way I am, the reason I'm, I act this way, it's the, that old devil. But I want you to understand there's times that you bring it on yourself. And you got to face that. you got to face the hard, cold truth. I mean, this is the way it is. Sometimes I am my biggest problem. It's not my wife. It's not my children. It's not my church. It's not even the devil. Sometimes it's me. And so David understands that possibly some of the things he's going through, he's brought it on himself. Now, the word calamity comes from hava in the Greek, and it simply means to rush upon. It's like, have you ever been standing in the water in the ocean, and all of a sudden a wave come in, and it nearly knocked you down? I mean, you can just be this deep right here, and that wave is so strong. It rushes in. I've been in a bass boat before, or either jumping out in the water before, and a wake come from another boat, and you're not looking. And when you turn around, the wake is already on you. And it can scare you to death, because it really feels like your boat's about to flip over. It just rushes in, and you're like, where did that even come from? That is the way calamity is. That is what happens in our lives sometimes. Sometimes that's how life is. I mean, it's the, the, you got cancer from a doctor. It's, it's a car accident and a spouse or a loved one dies and, and David is saying every time that I turn around there's a javelin stabbed in the wall every time I turn around and I'm just trying to be a good guy and I'm trying to be nice and respect the guy that used to have the anointing he grabs a spear every time I turn my back and he throws it at me he just attacks me out of nowhere Brian I used to have an old rooster that used to do that that thing right the time you turned your back on him, he'd attack. I'm going out to feed him one day, have one of those tin buckets with some food in it. I won't ever forget, right the time I turned around, I heard, I heard him stomping wide open. I remember just swinging around. I heard some go, I hit him right in the head. Knocked back, knocked him out. He staggered back. I thought, huh, I showed you, boy. Next thing I know, he charged yet again. I ran out the fence. I was scared to death of that thing. He crazy. David said, this is the way I feel. Every time that I even turn my back on Saul at the dinner table now, we're eating supper, having a meal together, and I turn my back. i got to go to the restroom. So, so I turn around, and when I turn around, there's a spear that flies by my head, literally. 
This is what David is going through. Saul wants to kill him. Talk about calamity. He knows what it is. So verse 2, what does he say I'm going to do? He says, I am just going to cry out to the Most High God who will vindicate me. Somebody listen to what I'm telling you today. It would do some of us good to go into a room and just cry. It would do some of us good just to get in our car along with God and invite Holy Spirit to come in and just sit beside us and just cry it out. But what David begins to understand that I wish that we could understand is that it is God who does the vindicating. It is God that does the getting back, not us. God never called me to get back my enemies. God never called me to throw a sword back at Saul. He just told you, you just remain calm. Trust in me. Have faith. I am good. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. If there's going to be any repayment, let me do the repayment, not you. So David begins to understand this concept. Go on to verse 3. He says, he reproaches the one who would swallow me up. Sometimes we convince ourselves that our enemies are also God's enemies. But God really, He really wants to save our enemies. Can I say that again? We convince ourselves that people that we think are enemies against us are enemies of God. But it is not God's desire to destroy your enemy. It is God's desire to save your enemy. Now we can pray and we're like, God, get them and get them good. I mean, God, I mean, if, if, if they have a heart attack, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm not going to complain. We're just wanting God, you get them back and get them good. That's the flesh in us. But what God is wanting us to say is, hey, son, I had mercy on you. You ought to pray that I'll have mercy on them. I saved you. You ought to pray that I would save them. See, there, 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 there's some kind of Bible verse somewhere in there that talks about Bless those that curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Anybody ever read that one? All right, let's go. Verse 4. I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among these ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows. Their tongues are sharp swords. Grab a hold to this. So here, all of a sudden, David is saying, Who am I kidding? The bottom line is that my life right now is a mess. However, you know, here I am and, and I've got these people in the middle of this chaos that he's talking about. And I got these people, they make me so angry. Because they're coming to me talking about, David, just let go and let God. <laughs> you ever had anybody tell you that? Just let go and let God. I'll tell you something, it's a lot easier when you're not the one going through the chaos. It's a lot easier when you're not the one getting spears thrown at you. To be like, David, you ought to have faith, man. You ought to really have faith. But when the story or the, the scroll is flipped, the storyline, and all of a sudden you're the one getting thrown arrows at, all of a sudden you feel a little different. This is a serious thing going on in my life. And suddenly David does something that's dangerous. He turns his mind from God and turns his mindset towards his enemy. That is very, very dangerous. 
Hillary just brought this out to us. You always keep God first. God first. You can always go back to that. That's one thing that you can trust Him. If you ever give the enemy an inch, he's going to take a mile. If you ever try to turn your mindset away from God to the enemy, you have just given the enemy a foothold and a stronghold over you. And if you're not careful, he will defeat you. Watch what happens. Are you ready? Now, this is the same David that's been giving us some encouraging words a few verses earlier. Talking about the mercy of God. Let's give God glory. But in verse 4, now all of a sudden, he's among lions, right? Does anybody think David was really among lions? No, that was Daniel. That was Daniel in the lion's den. They ain't no lion on David. That's Daniel. He's got his story mixed up. Watch this. So he says basically... These guys are really, they're set on fire. These guys are hot. These guys are crazy. These guys are mad. He, 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 look at what happened. This is the minute immediately when David started focusing on his enemy instead of his God. Satan walked into the room and he made the problem and the enemy look bigger than they really were. How does he do that? He starts talking about their teeth. He says, their teeth are spears and arrows. Well, I got news for you. His enemies still had teeth just like I got today. Their tongues are sharp. So all of a sudden, everything, it's almost as if David is becoming a little drama queen, if I can say it that way. I mean, the bottom line is we all know what he's trying to say. I mean, we know some people like that. As a matter of fact, that have said things to us like that. As a matter of fact, we probably all shut a few arrows ourselves, if we would be honest with ourselves today. But the enemy, once he turns his mindset towards the enemy, the enemy works on his mind. But I want to tell you how the story ends. The story is in 1 Samuel chapter 24. You may have times of fear, but don't be fooled. Because the devil, y'all aren't ready for this. You may have times of fear. Amen. Hallelujah. But somebody needs to understand that the devil is scared too. Ooh, tweet that. I'm telling you. Why is the devil scared? It is because of the power that he knows you possess. It is because of the power that you have over him. You have just failed to use it. Miss Phyllis, there are multiple times that God put the enemy in front of David and all he had to do was pierce him through with a sword and it would be over. He had the power to do it and instead of doing it, he said, well, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. Well, I got news for you, David. He was not the Lord's anointed anymore. He's already been to a sorcerer. He's already had Samuel brought back from the dead by a witch of Endor. There's nothing spiritual about this guy. The message that Samuel gave him before he died is the same message he gave him when he was raised from the dead. And that is that your kingdom has been divided. It has been split. It does not belong to you. It belongs to David. The throne 
Psalm was David's for the taking. He failed to excerpt and use the power that God gave him over his enemy. Or it would have been over a long time ago. And I need somebody to understand. There's times that we just allow the devil to keep on bickering and fighting and talking to us. When we need to just go ahead and end it and end it now. Don't mess around with him. God has given him into your hands. The power belongs to you. You have power over all of your enemies. Just use the power God's given you. So in verse 5. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth, O God. Now he switches back. I want you to notice what's going on here. He's talking about how their teeth are so big. He's looking at the enemy. He's focusing on Saul. And all of a sudden, he's not going to be able to make it. It's getting bigger and bigger. He doesn't see a solution to the problem. And now all of a sudden, he turns back and he says, Whoo! i got to give God some praise. Hallelujah. Be exalted, Lord. You're so great. You're, 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 you're bigger than my problem. You're bigger than Saul. My Lord, a matter of fact, you're above all the heavens. This whole earth belongs to you. Woo, I'm glad I'm serving you, merciful God. Oh, praise God. He breaks out into revival. Oh, my, my, my. But look what happens. Verse 6. He goes back and says, they've, they've prepared or they've spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. He says, they dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. Oh, my God. So, so it's as if this guy, he keeps jumping from fate to fear. From fate to fear. There is a fierce argument going on in his heart and in his life. Have you ever been in that place that, that, that you jump from fate to fear? I mean, I mean, you woke up this morning and you feel like, my Lord, I'm not going to be able to make it. My Lord, I've got so much going on. How am I going to make it through this, this situation at work? How, how am I going to make it through it with my kids, my marriage? What in the world am I going to do? I don't have enough money. Oh, God, oh, God. Fear, 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 fear. But then the next morning you wake up, you drink your coffee, you feel a little better. You see a bird and you hear him chirping. Sun's shining outside and you're like, Oh, but I'm so glad I serve this almighty God. I'm glad that you own the hills and the cattle. You own the potatoes in the hill. My God, I'm glad I know who you are. Nobody's ever been there before. Am I the only one? I mean, if I am, I'll just take, I will receive this word in Jesus' name that God's speaking to me today. And y'all just sit there and watch me be blessed. I'm fine with that. But there is something in me that I'm afraid that we've all been there to where one day we're walking in faith and the next day we're walking in fear. We've got a God that we trust that He can do all things, but when we get sick, all of a sudden fear overwhelms our heart and now we don't know if our God is able. This is where David is. It is up, it is down. It is that moment that you wanted to trust God. It is that moment that you wanted to believe so bad you thought it could work out, but fear grabbed you. So, what do I do when this happens? I'm going to help you. You're standing at this crossroad, so to speak. At this crossroad, you have to make a choice. You have to make a decision. And that is, do I go back or do I never go back? You come to this dilemma that you have to ask yourself if you have truly reached the point of no return. <laughs> it's, you know, Israel... They, they always go back to Egypt, back to Egypt, back to Egypt. I got so sick of hearing them say that. 
I was thinking if I was Moses, I'd just line them up and done the stoning squad. We got the firing squad in South Carolina. Don't anybody, I'm not going political on you, but we got, they had the stone squad back then. You just threw stones and stoned them to death. Yeah, they'll want the firing squad now, won't they? I mean, come on. And here, they want to go back. I want to go back to Egypt. I wish we could go back there. And they're always wanting to go back. And God is trying to get them to see the promised land, saying you've got to reach a place that you don't want to go back anymore. See, see, as long as you keep a door open, you will never fully be committed to Christ in your life. See, understand that David could have said, I'm not going to walk in this anointing anymore. That oil that Samuel poured over me on that day and told me I was anointed, I'm not walking in this anointing anymore. A matter of fact, I'm going back home. I'm going and I'm going to tend to the sheep. I don't care about the prestige. I don't care about the title. I don't even care about the salary. I'm going back home. You know what's sad? We've got preachers like that. They just got so weary and so tired of ministry that they just, I know some right now, they just sitting at home, don't even know what they're doing. They just decide I'm just going to throw it in. I can't do it anymore. David could have been that way. He could have said, I've been anointed to do this, but I'm done. A matter of fact, if this is what it takes to become the king of Israel, I don't want it. If getting spears thrown at me is the way to my promotion, then demote me and demote me today. I'm quitting. I'm giving up. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm tired of this fighting. I'm tired of every time I turn around. I'm having to run all the time. I'm sick of it. It's over. Now if he'd let fear get the best of him, that's exactly what he would have done. Go to the next one, verse 7. But all of a sudden, just like it does in other verses, the faith of God rises up in him. And he says, wait a minute, what am I even talking about? Because my heart, oh God, oh, the heart is life, right? This is it. I mean, the heart is, of, of, uh, you can settle all the matters in the heart. The heart is where the life flow is. He says, my heart, oh God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and I'm going to make music. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and I'm going to get my harp and I'm going to sing another song and I'm going to write a Psalm 58 and a Psalm 59 and, a, and I'm going to keep on writing and I'm going to keep on praising and I'm going to keep on saying I was fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm going to write all of these songs. The Lord is my shepherd. I mean, I'm going to write all of them and I'm going to celebrate about this great God that I'm serving. Faith rises up. He grabs his harp, starts singing and says, my heart. King James Version said it like this. He said, my heart is fixed. That means you ain't changing it. I've made up my mind. I'm going to do this. I'm telling somebody today that this is exactly what you need to do. Please hear me. If you leave yourself an exit door. You will never make up your mind. You need to understand that if God opens a door for you. And you go into that door. With an exit plan, you will never have the best that God desires for you. <laughs> so in other words, if you walk into the door, God opened it, we can't deny that. God opens this door for me. I begin to walk into this door, but all of a sudden I'm thinking of an exit plan. What does that mean? That means if I fail, I'll just quit. 
if, if, if it doesn't work out, at least I can say I tried, right? I'm just going to quit and I'm going to give up. But I'm telling somebody today, do not let fear rule you. Do not let fear overcome you. You've got to rise up and say, my heart has made up its mind. My heart is fixed. My heart is steadfast. I'm going to still sing and praise like I've always done. It doesn't matter if a spear is being thrown at me or it isn't being thrown at me. At the end of the day, I'm going to give God glory. He's the one that anointed me. He's the one that said I'd be the king and bless God in his time. I will be. So he does not get an exit plan. He decides at this point, I have reached a place of no return. See, there comes a time in every one of our lives today that we have to shut the door. We have to throw away the key. And when you do that, you give up the option of turning around and going back. Because if you've locked the door and you've thrown away the key, then guess what, baby? You can't get out. Spiritually, that's where we need to get today. Because we understand Ephesians 4, 27. When God said, do not give the devil a foothold over you. In other words, don't give him any room. Don't give him anything. You cannot do that. Because if you do, you're going to end up losing. You've got to trust me. Giving up's not an option. Failure is not an option. It was God that got you here to begin with. It was God that anointed you, David, to begin with. It is God that opened the door for you and if God opened the door for you he did not open the door so you could be a failure he did not open the door so you would not be successful he opened the door because he knew you were going to succeed that's the reason that he opened up the door to begin with so I'm going to leave you with this go ahead and flip my next scripture I'm quitting this is the last one the lesson of the diatribe now when you look up the word diatribe the definition means, if I can read my own writing, because sometimes it's very, very difficult. I'll let you all try after church if you'd like. The definition of a diatribe is an angry or bitter and usually long speech or piece of writing that strongly criticizes someone or something. I've had a diatribe going down the road when Grandpa pulled out in front of me going 20 miles per hour in a 55. Anybody, know, anybody with me here? Long angry spill about a situation is what a diatribe. And David finds himself in the middle of this diatribe. This, 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 this situation. I, I wanna, but I want to show you something. Look, look at this. Look, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. This may be one of my favorite scriptures. The weapons that we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. In another, he said it like this. He said, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. Watch this. That's not the right version. To the pulling down of strongholds. Now, I need somebody to grab this first off. When you pull down a stronghold, what God is saying is the things that are above you, you're going to pull down. The enemies that have risen up above you, you are going to pull them down. The pulling down of strongholds and casting down of imaginations 
Another one said it like this, are the casting down of arguments. Now, I like this one because what he's saying is I'm not going to argue with the devil anymore. We're not going to have a conversation about it. I'm not going to have a diatribe anymore. I'm not going to get angry and have outbursts and tell the devil all these. I'm just going to come out and say, I rebuke you in the powerful name of Jesus. Get thee behind me. I am not going to give you a foothold. You will not have an inch over my life. Because if I give you an inch, you're going to take it all. I'm telling you, no more conversation. It is over. Is there anybody here that likes arguing? If you're an arguer, you may argue with the devil. I don't know, but I'm telling you, you need to quit doing that. You need to tell him where it's time for him to go. There's something in me that says if you have joined this fellowship of what I'll call the unashamed. Go ahead and go to the music if you would. Dear Miss Sandra, I'm closing. You have to join the fellowship of the unashamed. You have to, we can go to title screen here. You have to make up your mind. That you have reached the point of no return. Devil, we aren't going to argue about it anymore. We're not going to talk about it anymore. There's no more fussing about it anymore. I have joined the fellowship of the unashamed. I am not ashamed to be called a Christian. I am not ashamed to be called a preacher. I am not ashamed... If they even go old school and call me a holy roller. I'm not ashamed if they call me crazy. I'm not ashamed if they call me Pentecostal. I'm not ashamed if they even call me Church of God. I'm not ashamed if they call me a lunatic. I'm no longer ashamed even if they pull out you're a Jesus freak. Because that's exactly the tribe that I've joined. And I'm proud to be a part of that group and a part of that number. Hallelujah. And and then we go to the point of no return. Not fussing about it. Not arguing about it. It is that moment that we say the word that we tell our children not to say, Devil, it's time for you just to shut up. And get thee behind me in the name of Jesus. For I have been given power through God to pull down the strongholds in my life. I have been given the power of God to pull down every foothold over my family. I have been given the power of God to pull down every addiction that has been binding me day in and day out. And I can close this conversation down. It is an open for discussion. I've cast my lot with the fellowship of the unashamed. I am not returning. Turning back to the world. I'm not going back where I used to be. That's not who I am anymore. I've reached the point of no return. The only place I'm going is forward, forward, forward. Let's stand in the house of God. Sing, do something. My God, Jesus, I praise you today. Hallelujah. Do you love him today? Do you, you praise him today? There's somebody in here today. If you need a special prayer, bring it on right now. If you need special prayer, somebody say, Pastor, that old devil's been fighting me left and right. You can come right now and you can give it to God. You can hand it to Him at this altar. You can leave your burden there. You can say it's over. Hallelujah to God. I've made up my mind, devil, not going back. I'm just going to move forward. Oh, come on, somebody. Come on, brother. Come on. Come pray. Come pray. Anybody else? Anybody else? This your boss. The devil's trying to discourage me. That old devil's trying to fuss with me. 
He's trying to tell me all the things that's not going to happen. All the impossibilities. But we're shutting down the conversation right here. We're shutting it down right now. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in all the world. Victory doesn't belong to the world. Victory doesn't belong to the devil. Victory belongs to the child of God. For through Jesus Christ, thanks be to God that gives us, the children of God, the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I will speak to my fear, and I will preach to 